have you here with us uh, on this beautiful spring morning. It warmed up a little bit, a little chilly earlier this morning, but it warmed up nicely out there, so great to have you here with us. My name is John Miklas. I'm the lead pastor here at CCC, and uh, we just want to send a, extend a special welcome to those who are first-time guests who are here with us today, as well as returning, as well as those who call CCC their church home. It is great to have you here with us. Well, this morning we're going to wrap up a series on forgiveness, and uh, before we dive into that, I want to tell you a little bit about what is coming next. Starting next week, uh, a couple of us, Roddy Hanna, one of the pastors here, uh, myself, and a missionary we support in India, P.V. Joseph, over the next six weeks, we will be tackling the subject of prayer, and we're going to do it in a little bit of a different way. Uh, Next week, we're going to start by talking about the number 40. The number 40 is a significant number all throughout the Bible, and we're going to talk about why that is and connect that to a season of prayer that we're going to invite you to participate in for the next six and a half weeks for you to identify one thing that you're going to pray and ask God that he would show up and do something in this one particular area of your life or your world and see what God does during that time. So I can't wait to see what God's going to do in our lives over this next six weeks as we pray as if everything depends on God and we work as if everything depends on us. And so that's what we're going to be doing the next six weeks starting next Sunday. Prayer is a fun subject. I like talking about prayer, seeing God answer prayer. That's amazing. I love talking about and celebrating that. Forgiveness, not so much. Forgiveness is hard. It's hard. It's not easy to talk about, not easy to navigate, definitely not easy to walk in and do. But this morning we're going to talk about that subject. And as we wrap things up, I want to do this. I want to review where we've come over the last four weeks. So if you haven't been here for one or two of those weeks, you'll have a chance to get a little bit of a snapshot of where we were these last couple weeks. I encourage you to go online and listen to any of the messages that you might have missed at our website. Then I'm going to answer some questions. Uh, You've sent me questions on the communication cards. Uh, You've asked me questions out in the lobby. You've emailed me questions. And I want to walk through some questions that you have sent to me about this subject of forgiveness. And then lastly, I want to close by looking at a passage of Scripture, a story in which Jesus talks about this subject of forgiveness and challenges about how it can alter the course of our lives. Today we want to talk about forgiveness as a way of life. Forgiveness is a way of life. There are certain things in your life that you learn to do at a very young age, and you just do those things. You just do those things. Um, Did anybody here this morning, when you brush your teeth, follow a set of instructions on how to do that? I don't see any hands. I guess you all know how to do that. Why? Because you learned it at a very young age, and now you just do it. Uh, How many of you followed a set of instructions in terms of how to start your car and how to drive your car this morning? Nobody did. Why is that? Because you know how to do it, and you just instinctively get in without even thinking about it and do it. And so I've wondered, what would it be like for forgiveness to be just like that? Forgiveness to be something that you walk into, you step into, and almost instinctively, without following a list of instructions, without asking somebody, well, how do I do this, and what's next, and what do I do here, that you would just do it. For forgiveness to be a part of the way that you live life. This past week, my wife and I were having a conversation uh, about something, and she was uh, telling me about something that was going on, and I made a joke about it. And she said very directly to me, she said um, that that was something that was much more serious than I was making it, and it wasn't something to make light of. I very astutely recognized that I had hurt her in what I had done. It wasn't a deep, gaping wound. It was like a pinprick but it still had hurt her. 
And I stopped and I paused and I said to her something to the effect of, I apologize for not taking seriously the matter that you were talking about and I'm sorry for that. And she said, thank you. And we just moved on. Now, I wish I could tell you that happens all the time in our household. Not as often as I wish it would. But forgiveness can be as simple as that. We're also going to talk about the kinds of areas where we need to walk into forgiveness where it's much deeper and much harder and much more difficult and much more painful. But what would it be like for forgiveness to be a way of life? A way of life. What would it be like to teach our kids how to forgive? We're going to talk a little bit. Not force them into forgiveness, but teach them how to forgive. What would that be like? Well, before we dive into that, I want to talk about where we began this journey. And we began this journey um, with this quote. Um, And this quote was, forgiveness is setting the prisoner free and discovering the prisoner was you. I think all of us want to be free. Nobody wants to be stuck. Nobody wants to feel like you're in chains, you're in bondage, you're paralyzed. I can't act because of this. And forgiveness is the doorway to that. And so how do I get there? Well, forgiveness begins at the cross. We talked about this on Easter Sunday. Forgiveness begins at the cross. Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 said this, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We talked about forgiveness and reconciliation being two separate issues. Two separate issues. And what Paul is saying is, Paul is saying, because God forgave you, now he's able to reconcile himself to you through what Jesus did on the cross, and now he says, I want you to go and do the same. That God was reconciled with the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. God said, I'm not going to count your sins against you. I want to put all of those sins on Jesus on the cross. They are all going to be on him. And then he said, I want you to reconcile with other people. And so forgiveness begins at the cross. The cross is the key. The cross is the place where God said, where Jesus cried out to the Father, why have you, what? Forsaken me. Why did he cry out? Why did he cry out? Because the sins of all of mankind, all of my sins, all of your sins, all of the sins of mankind were placed upon him. And God could not look upon him. And that's the reason why it felt to him like God had literally turned his back on Jesus, on Jesus. Because he did that, because he forgave our sins, he now says, I want you to do the same. You say, but they don't know they've done anything wrong or they won't resolve the problem. Jesus says it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Remember his reply to the Father? On the cross, he said, Father, forgive them because they don't even know what they're doing. Remember, forgiveness doesn't require two people. Forgiveness requires how many people? Forgiveness requires how many people? One. Forgiveness requires one person. The cross is the key to forgiveness, even when others might not be aware that they've hurt us. So it starts with the cross, and then it moves to forgiving others. It moves to forgiving others. And Paul said this, he says, I want you to follow Jesus' example. Do exactly what Jesus did. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. God forgave you. When our view of forgiveness does not start with the cross, we set up boundaries around our forgiveness. We say things like, I could never forgive fill in the blank. I could never forgive. 
fill in the blank. We say, I will only forgive if, fill in the blank. I will only forgive if, and fill in the blank. When we view forgiveness in light of the cross, our rules and our boundaries have to disappear because no one's ever asked you to die on the cross for them. They've simply asked you, will you forgive me? What is forgiveness? What is forgiveness? Well, we talked about this. Forgiveness is writing out and then shredding the record book. And I encourage you to take a sheet and, and write out things that have been done against you. And then take those things that have been done against you. And after you've taken those things, that those things get shredded. And they disappear. They disappear. It's refusing to punish. Refusing to punish. You know, at the core of forgiveness, it's you wanting the other person to feel the kind of pain that you felt. That's why you don't forgive. And forgiveness is saying, I'm going to let that go. Forgiveness is rooting out bitterness. Forgiveness is not sharing it with others. And forgiveness is doing good even to those who sinned against me. So forgiveness starts at the cross. There's forgiving others. And then there's asking for forgiveness. When you know you have done something wrong, when you have offended another person, and Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 5 when he said, if you're coming to offering or coming to a place of worship and you remember your brother or sister has something against you, someone has a problem with you or you know you've done something to someone else, leave it there and go and be reconciled and then come back and offer your gift. What do you do when you realize you need to extend forgiveness? Jesus says, stop whatever you're doing and go after it. Stop whatever you're doing and go after it. Um, failure to do so is going to interrupt your relationship with God, and it's going to interrupt your relationship with other people. And after you've forgiven them, what Paul says is he says, don't repay evil for evil, because that's what we want to do when we don't forgive. We want them to feel that same pain. He says, instead, I want you to do what's right or do what is good to that person. And if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So it starts with forgiveness at the cross, then extending forgiveness, then asking forgiveness, and it ends with forgiving yourself. And my friend Joel did a great job with this last week, talking about forgiving yourself. And Joel talked about grieving your regrets, grieving the things that you know that have been done to you and the things that you have done to other people. 2 Corinthians 7 says this, for the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. God doesn't want us just to feel bad. If that's all that happens in the second half of the verse, it's going to result in no repentance and spiritual death. God wants us to do something, to do something. Joel talked about the challenge of writing an open-handed lament of something that has been done to you or something you have done to someone else and writing this down and saying, now God, what do I do with it? Now God, what do I do with it? This past Tuesday, um, I take a day once, about once a month, not every month, but try once a month to take a day out of the office just to be quiet and alone with God. Encourage all of our staff to do that. And so I spent some time alone with God, and as I was sitting there, I knew that there was something I had to do, and Joel talked about it. I was like, I know i got to do this. And I sat down, and I started writing. I started writing about something that had been done to me um, because I did not want to live with regret. Because what happens when you don't deal with the sin that's been done to you or the sin that's been done to someone else, you start to feel something called guilt. 
guilt. And guilt is appropriate. If you've done something wrong, you should feel guilty. If you don't, that's another whole subject. But when you do something wrong, you should feel guilty. But you should not feel guilty when someone has done something wrong to you. But what Joel explained is that when you don't face sin that has been done to you, over time you start to believe things about yourself that are not true, and that's called shame. That's called shame. He describes shame as guilt's ugly stepsister. When things that have been done to you, you don't resolve those issues, you start to believe some things to be true about yourself. And that's called shame. And he challenged us that the way to walk into this is to bring those things back to God. Because at the cross is when Jesus defeated not only death, but also shame, the writer of Hebrews talks about. John 8.35 says, So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Forgiveness is setting the prisoner free and discovering the prisoner was you. So forgiving, forgiveness begins at the cross, extending forgiveness, asking forgiveness, and then uh, forgiving yourselves. Well, I want to walk through some questions that have come to me over the last four weeks about this subject of forgiveness. And I'm going to put them up on the screen and take a few minutes to talk about them. So here's the first question. It comes from the leaders of our fifth and sixth graders, our 56 environment. They said, should parents force their kids to apologize and say, I'm sorry? What do you think, kids? What do you think? They're not as verbal and as responsive as the first service was, but should parents force their kids to apologize and say, I'm sorry? Um, let me give you a picture of forgiveness that I heard this week, and I thought this is really good. I heard it from Dan Allender. He said, Forgiveness, we want forgiveness to be a snapshot, but forgiveness is more like a movie. Okay, think about that for a beginning. We want forgiveness to be a snapshot. A snapshot is there, boom, it's done, right? That's what I want forgiveness to be. I want forgiveness to be a snapshot, it's just over and done. But forgiveness is like a movie. I had a conversation with someone about an issue that I wanted it to be a snapshot, boom, over and done. But it wasn't. I was like, oh, I just want this to be done. I don't want this to drag on. But guess what? It is. It is. So when parents want to force their kids to apologize and say, I'm sorry, are parents viewing forgiveness as a snapshot or a movie? Snapshot, right? We want it over and done, right? Say you're sorry. Give them a hug. Sit on this bench by one another. Okay, now you're good. Go. And the 56ers are saying, but I lied. I'm not sorry. I hate him. <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't want anything to do with her, you know. Or I'm not going to tell them because if I tell them, they're going to make me do this. And then they start to do what? Then it becomes what? Deceit. Deceit. So what do we do? What do we do? Um, this is really hard. This is really hard because I did this. I did this, and now my kids will have years of therapy and have to pay for it on their own because I did this to them, you know. Um, but if you're still in this season of life, or you're at a grandparent season and you're walking with kids at that level, I think there's a certain level up to a certain age, probably first or second grade, where you have to say to them, that was wrong, that was wrong, 
and you have to confront the wrong very, very directly. They don't have any cognitive awareness. Saying they're sorry means like go out and eat a piece of candy. That's all it means to them. They have no cognitive awareness of that. But at some level, as they start to get past second and third grade, they have the cognitive awareness to be able to say, tell me what you did and why you did this. Now, you can't do it in the moment because they're furious, they're screaming, they're yelling, they're throwing things, they're having a fit. You've got to wait till the emotions come down so you can't take care of it in the moment. And then you've got to get them to talk about if they did it to a sibling, what did you do and why did you do that? And, what, and talk to that sibling, when they did this to you, what did you feel? You've got to walk with them in the journey, the path of forgiveness. And some of you are thinking, John, that sounds like way too much work. Uh, sorry, that's what being a parent is. So being a parent is. But if you want to pass on to your kids the legacy of forcing them into that and never having to learn it, just keep doing this. But if you want to go through the work and effort to say, we've got to sit down and talk about this. And when you hurt someone, when you wound someone, when you injure someone, when you take advantage of someone, you have to resolve that matter. You have to sit down and process this. Wait till they're at a place where they can walk through it and begin to do that with them. Here's another one. How do I forgive when someone does not repent or take responsibility for what they did to me? Okay, forgiveness requires how many people? One, right? Reconciliation requires how many people? Two. Two. Forgiveness one, reconciliation two. So can I forgive someone who doesn't want to repent and take responsibility? Yes. Yes. I can write it out, I can take it to God, and I can put it in the shredder. And I can wait for them to be ready to engage it with me. Here's another one. What should I do if someone has repeatedly sinned against me and hurt me, and I've confronted them, and they apologize, and then do it again? Uh, Jesus talked about this, our first story. We looked at it, and Jesus said, you should forgive. Does anyone remember how many times Jesus said you should forgive? What was that number? 70 times 7, a whole bunch, a whole bunch, right? So do you need to keep forgiving? The answer is yes. Um, how many of you stuck your hands in the electric socket more than one time when you were a kid? Okay, a couple of you. Now we know why you are the way you are, you know. But most of you didn't, right? Most of you learned your lesson the first time, right? So this is not just an issue of forgiveness. This is also an issue of boundaries, of boundaries. If your dog is, if, if you got a, if you got a dog and you got a fence and the dog keeps jumping the fence, what do you do? You either make the fence higher, you electrocute the fence, you know, shock collar, you do something, right? You set some boundaries. And if they don't follow it, you make the boundaries higher and you make them higher. You're like, John, isn't that heartless? No, it's not. Because you're protecting your heart and you're saying to them, this kind of behavior is not appropriate. My heart is open to you if we can relate to one another in honoring ways. But you set boundaries around that so that you can continue to have a relationship, if that's possible, with them. What's the next one? What should I do with the shame that comes with deep hurt? Deep hurt. Um, Joel talked about this last week. If you were not here last week, I really do encourage you to listen to his message from last week about this. Joel talked about the fact that when we don't deal with guilt in our lives, what happens is we start to cultivate this sense of shame. We believe things about us that are not true. We believe that we're not good enough, that we're not capable, 
that we didn't follow through enough, that we don't deserve this. We believe those things when we don't deal with this issue in our lives. And so the part of the process is beginning to deal with the original offense against us. And then once that's dealt with, to begin to walk with this with some guided godly counsel to say, help me process this shame. Help me to discover. Because those are lies that we're telling ourselves. Shame is always lies you're telling yourself that are not true. Help me to discover what is true that God has said about me that I can learn to embrace what is true and not live in the lies of shame. Um, This is a tough one to navigate. Here's another one. Does forgiveness mean I forget about it and never talk about it again? Does forgiveness mean I forget about it and never talk about it again? Well, unless you have dementia or Alzheimer's, you won't forget, usually. You'll remember. You'll remember. Now, it may be a distant memory. Maybe a distant memory. But what about this one? Should I ever talk about it? Should I ever talk about it? Well, I think there's... I think... Um, should I ever talk about it? It really comes down to your reason for talking about it. Is your reason to talk about it, to badmouth the, about the other person, to gossip about the other person, to make fun of, a mockery of the other person? Is that your reason for talking about it? If so, you haven't put it in the shredder yet. It's still out there alive and well. But if your reason to talk about it is what God did in your life in that process, in the journey how he changed you, how God showed up and met you and offered you grace and mercy and forgiveness, yeah, then talk about it. Then talk about it. The worst thing to do is to ignore it's not there and to live in denial. Because if you ignore it and you say it's no big deal, whenever someone says to me it's no big deal, do you realize what it is? It's a big deal, okay? Somebody says it's no big deal, it's almost always a big deal. And they're denying it. And when you live in denial about it, you know what you're saying to me? You're saying, I don't need the cross and I don't need Jesus. Because you can't forgive without the cross. And you can't forgive the way God's forgiven unless you've embraced what he's done for you. So stop saying it's not a big deal. Face it for what it is. Allow the God to enter your heart and life and experience freedom and hope and forgiveness because of that. How do I know when I have fully forgiven someone? How do I know when I have fully forgiven someone? Um, If forgiveness is a snapshot, then you know, right? We had the conversation. It's forgiven. But if forgiveness is a movie, I think at times we have to forgive again and again and again and again. You say, John, I don't want to have to keep doing that. Neither do I. Um, But when it comes up in our thoughts, when it comes up in a conversation, we have to remind ourselves, God, you have walked me through a journey. I have um, written these things down. I've had this conversation. I've shredded it in the shredder. It's gone, God. Help me to move on. And hopefully by his grace, he allows you to do that. Um, I think one of the best ways to know if you have walked through this forgiveness process is if you can do good for that person with a whole heart. You know, there's people that we do good for. Um, They're called family members that we feel like we have to and we wish we didn't, right? But can we do good for them and be excited and glad that we did good for them? Is our heart good? Not just good deeds. Is our heart good? 
good towards that person. And that can only come from God. That cannot be manufactured. It can only come from Him. Here's a tough one. Uh, is there any offense that's beyond forgiveness? Any offense beyond, that's beyond forgiveness? Um, my head wants to say, yes, there is. I have not ever had to deal with someone who has deeply wounded my wife or my children. If someone did, I'm not sure how I would be able to forgive them. Do I know that I should? Yeah. But that's a hard one. But the cross reminds me that there should be no offense beyond forgiveness. Um, what if I'm too hurt to forgive? What if I'm too hurt to forgive? Um, remember, forgiveness is not a moment in time. Forgiveness may be something that's ongoing. When someone says, what if I'm too hurt and angry to forgive? I think the deeper question that they're wrestling with is, what do I do if I don't want to forgive? What if I do if what do I do if I do not want to forgive? Um, I don't know if you've been there. I have. I have. And when you're in that situation, I think that you wrestle with God, you plead, you ask Him to soften your heart. Um, I've learned recently that one of the things that helps me to forgive someone I don't want to forgive is to learn more of their story before I came into the picture. Sometimes learning more of their story before I came into the picture gives me a heart to forgive them. How do you repair... Oh, my questions are out of order. Um, what if I have sinned against someone, wounded them deeply, I want to forgive, but they don't want to talk about it? Okay? So you've done something wrong. You know you've done something wrong. You've gone before God. You said, God, forgive me. You've written down what? And you say, can we talk? And they're like, nope. Nope. Don't want to. Don't want to. Well, I think the first thing you do is you respect their boundaries. You don't try to force it. You don't try to force it. Um, the second thing you do is you give them time. You say, does time heal all wounds? Nope, it does not. But time sometimes can soften a person's heart. Time does not heal all wounds. Time just keeps you wounded. That's all time does. And lastly, pray for God to bring healing in their heart so that you might experience restoration. Can you forgive, can you forgive someone you've wounded even if they don't want to talk to you? Can you? You can, because it only requires what? One person. Can you reconcile with them if they don't want to talk to you? No, you cannot. And you may just have to wait on God's timing for that to take place. This last one is a little bit, is pretty close to that. It's how do you repair a broken relationship if the other person won't own their part? So the first, the previous one was you did something wrong to someone, and this is someone did something wrong to you. Okay, so someone has done something wrong to you. You've gone to them, you've confronted them, you've told them what they've done, and they're like, mm-hmm, 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 okay. Thanks for talking. Have a nice day. So can you forgive them? You can. 
because forgiveness only relies on you. Can you reconcile with them? No, you can't. Because reconciliation requires two. Can you have a relationship with them? Probably a limited one. A limited one. Not a deep, meaningful, enriching, fulfilling relationship. Probably can't have that um, until they're willing to do that. Um, the question there is, is your heart at a place where you're open to forgive? Um, I've tried to walk through some of these questions for you um, because this forgiveness issue, what I've recognized is something that affects every person in this room. Every person in this room has sinned against someone else. And every person in this room has had someone sin against you. And so this is a subject that affects all of us. All of us. You know, some subjects I talk about kind of affect people in a certain place in life, but maybe not others, or, or place this in life. But this is one of those subjects, just like when we talk about sexuality, it affects us all. All of us. And as we close this morning, I want us to take a look at a passage of Scripture that I think is a great way for us to end this. If you have a Bible, if you would turn to Luke uh, chapter 7, or if you have a, open up your app on your phone or tablet, Luke chapter 7. And I want us to walk through a story that happened in the life of Jesus. Luke chapter 7 is where we're going to turn to. And so the story begins there in Luke chapter 7, verse 36. It says, when one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. Now remember, Jesus was kind of this roaming teacher who was going around and he had these disciples excuse me, these followers that were there with him and they were following him. And, and, and God said, and Jesus said of himself that, you know, the, the birds have the nests and the, uh, and the foxes have a place to go, but the Son of Man, referring to himself, has no place to lay his head. So he didn't have a home. He didn't have a home. He would just go from place to place and people would provide for him. And so one of the Pharisees, the religious leader, says, hey, you want to come over for dinner? And Jesus, was, Jesus said, you're cooking, I'm coming. And uh, he came. And so they're there at the table, the feast is all set up, they're reclining at the table, and a woman shows up who lived a sinful life. Now, we don't know what sinful life meant, we get a little bit of a hint later. I kind of wonder if Luke left this out in the story, the specifics about her sin, because then it applies to every single one of us, because there's not a person here who doesn't lead a sinful life or have sinned in their life. So this woman, who we know, she had a somewhat of a sinful life. She learned Jesus was there, so she came with a jar of perfume. So she comes to the house, the jar of perfume. And at this point, the story slows down and gives us incredible detail. She stood behind him at his feet, weeping. So he's kind of laying down, reclining. The table's there in front of them. They're all kind of laying down with their feet out behind them on, you know, on, um, on blankets, on pillows, on things like that. That's how they eat in the Middle Eastern setting. Kind of leaning on an elbow is how they might sit or on their knees with their feet behind them. And so he, she's standing behind him. And she's weeping so profusely that her tears are dripping down off of her face onto his feet. And then she kneels down. And she begins to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair. She had to be close enough to his feet that she could use her hair 
to wipe his feet. Those feet that had traveled on dusty roads in open-toed sandals, um, through camel and horse dung, and her tears dripped on them, and she wiped them with her hair. And then she proceeded to kiss his feet and then poured perfume on them. While this is all happening, the host, the Pharisee, is watching this unfolding. And as he's watching this unfolding, it's as if there's a thought bubble going out on the comic strip, and you get a glimpse into what he's thinking. And he's thinking to himself, if this man were a prophet, referring to Jesus, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is. There's that phrase again, she's a sinner. She's a sinner. He's thinking, doesn't he know who this is? Doesn't he know her reputation? Why doesn't he just tell her to leave? Why is he allowing this to go on? He could have been mumbling this under his breath. Jesus then says to him, Simon, I have something to tell you. And he says, sure, tell me. Tell me. He goes on to tell him a story. He says, two people owed money to a certain money lender, one 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debt to both. Which one of them will love him more? Obvious answer to this question. I suppose, he's not even willing to admit it. He's a smart guy. He knows where this is headed. I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. That's the one who would love more. And Jesus said, you win the prize. You win the prize. And he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? He said, I came into your house. You didn't even give me any water to wet my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I've entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You didn't pour oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. He basically makes a comparison between Simon, the Pharisee, and this woman. He says, Simon, you didn't give me any water. It was custom in that day when you came into a house, when you came to someone's home for a meal, that they would have a servant that would be there doing what to your feet? Washing your feet. And Jesus took over those responsibilities in John 13 when he washed the feet of his disciples. No one was there to even wash his feet. And she washed his feet with her tears. It was customary when you came into a house for you to be greeted. In our day, it might be a handshake, it might be a hug. In those days, it was a kiss on the cheek or maybe a kiss on both cheeks. He said, you didn't even greet me, Simon. You didn't even greet me. And she could not stop kissing my feet. And lastly, he said, you didn't honor me. Oil on a person's head was a sign of honor to someone that was a dignitary, someone that was a king, to someone that was royalty. He said, but she poured her perfume all over my feet. And so he said, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown and this is the phrase I want you to look at, the very last phrase as we wrap up this series on forgiveness. Whoever has been forgiven little, what does those last two words say? Loves little. Whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. 
And as I think about our church, and I think about what God longs for us to have happen, He longs for us to, to be more fully in love with God, to love Him with everything that we have. He longs for us to love one another more deeply. And as I read this story, I was struck by the fact that growing in our love is not reading more about the Bible, not understanding more about the Bible. While that's helpful, that's not going to grow our love for one another. What's going to grow our love is our ability to forgive. And our ability to forgive is going to allow us to love. And our ability to love is going to allow us to forgive. But if you struggle to love, I think you have to ask yourself, is it because I struggle to forgive? Is it because I've struggled to believe how much I've been forgiven? You say, John, what's the point? Do I have to have a horrible past like this woman to forgive others greatly? No, I don't think so. I think this woman saw her sin, knew her condition, was humbled, repentant, broken, and filled with gratitude and worship. And her tears reflected it. Some of you will say to me, John, I'm sorry for my tears in worship. And I say, your tears are welcomed. Because it's a reflection of your heart. Simon, on the other hand, was proud, arrogant. He didn't think he was much of a sinner. He was one of the good guys. Well put together. Generous. Opened up his home. Had everybody in. Great feast. But he rarely experienced forgiveness. And he could rarely express love. I think being able to make forgiveness a way of life in my life, in your life, in our kids' lives, in the next generation begins with how you view God and how you view yourself and His love for you. You would never say that you really didn't need much of God's love, but you're a pretty good person. You really don't. And you act towards others in that way. And so they don't measure up. And you can't forgive because they're just not good enough. When you receive His forgiveness, it enlarges your heart to forgive. And it gives you the capacity to love Him in amazing, amazing ways. I don't know where you're at on this journey of forgiveness. Um, I know some of you have told me this has stirred up things in your life that you thought were over and done. And I've invited you to sit and to write some things down, and some of you have. And some of you, it's time to put them in the shredder and be ready to, to get rid of them. Some of you, it's time to start and do what... Joel talked about last week and sit and write down the things that have been done to you so that you can walk into that journey of forgiveness because that's what he offers to you this morning. I'm going to ask if you would just bow your heads and I'm going to close in a word of prayer um, before we close with a song. God, as we think about this subject of forgiveness, 
Lord, you know where each of our hearts are at. You know those of us that are living in denial about things that we need to walk into. And um, we've been resisting it and resisting it and resisting it and just kind of holding out till the series is done and then being able to go on with life. But the truth is we're in bondage, Lord. And we haven't walked through that doorway to freedom yet. God, for those that are walking in that, who are living in the movie of forgiveness, God, give them your grace. Help them to know your incredible love. Free them from the bondage of shame. Give them the courage to have hard conversations with people in their lives. Help them know where to set boundaries when someone's not ready to reconcile. And more than anything, God, help us to know your incredible love for us. Because, God, that's really where forgiveness begins and ends, at the cross and with your love. And so, God, as we close this morning with this song about your love, may it just remind us of the truth of that. May we celebrate the wonder of it. And may we live and forgive as a result of it. In your name we pray. Amen. Damien. Let's stand. <clears throat>